Hey guys, Matt Gurney here. We've been talking about making a line podcast for a while. We're not really up to speed on how to do this technically. You are the guinea pig. You're our test audience. There's no fancy music. There's no ads. There's no real editing. We've pulled the audio from our weekly dispatch video. You get me at the front and back introducing it and telling you what it is. If you like it, let us know. If it seems to resonate with people, we'll probably do more. But for now, on an experimental basis only, let's hear the first ever podcast episode of The Line. Well, hello. Um, an, an interesting week. We got, we got a lot to talk about um, in the dispatch today. Uh, an interesting medley of topics. I guess, Jen, we should tell people up front about my week, though. Oh, yeah. Should we ever? So last weekend, um, I, out of nowhere, um, felt uh, grit. It kind of felt like sand in my throat. And I was like, hmm, okay, interesting. And I took a rapid test and I was negative. And um, on Monday, I woke up in the morning and I could not get out of bed. And it was, I was not in any particular pain or distress. I, I didn't feel sick. But it was like some life sapping alien had taken all the energy out of me. And I, I, said, I said to my wife, like, you got to get the kids dressed. And I like my wife leaves before I take the kids to school normally, but she just had to take over. And I'm thinking to myself, I tested negative last night. And so Monday was a complete write off. I was eventually like aches and pains hit me. I felt hungover. Like anyone who's had a bad hangover where everything hurts but nothing in particular hurts it's just sort of this diffused whole body suffering that's how I felt all of Monday and I was never fully awake or asleep and that was most of Tuesday and then all of a sudden it just went away it was just done and I remember like being in bed going huh I think I can get up now like it's just like I think whatever this demon in has, has left me I took another rapid test and I was negative again. And um, my my daughter the day before had complained of uh, a gritty uh, a gritty throat, and we rapid tested her. And then the next morning, she said she felt fine, so uh, we we sent her off to school. And Wednesday, I felt fine. Thursday, I felt normal. And I took one more rapid test, almost out of curiosity, and I was positive. So whatever I was going through on monday that kind of diffused painful whole body hangover was whatever this latest go round with covid was the first time i know i had covid and i didn't test positive despite regular testing until i was already well past it the rapid tests aren't working right now well and this is this is something interesting because you're not the first person i've heard this from yeah i've heard this from from multiple sources now where people got sick did the rapid test did the rapid test did the rapid test yeah even with symptoms, it's showing up negative, and then boom, at the end of their sickness, then finally they're showing up positive. Something about this variant is not connecting with it's the rapid test. Rapid no, tests are missing it, it. It's it's it. This could be anecdotal, like you know, we're we're just relying on our on our our, our friend groups, but like it seems to be this common problem. The other interesting thing is, everyone I know in Ontario got sick this week. Everyone, everyone just got it. And our wastewater here in Alberta and in the West is showing also that there's an uptick in, in COVID as well, but yeah. no one I know is actually sick, the, which indicates the, the, the virus is circulating, but for some reason, probably be, we're not feeling it. And I think that's just because it's already, it's already basically ripped through the population. 
it's interesting because with my one of my kids uh, having eventually tested positive, so what won't be in school for a couple of days. Like after I tested positive, we retested everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Wife and one of my kids absolutely fine. One of my uh, the the other kid t- um, testing positive but asymptomatic. So um, the, the fun part is when we look at sim- symptom onset based on Ontario regulations. By the time I knew I was positive, because you date your isolation to the first symptom, I was mm. out of isolation. By the mm. time I knew I was, like, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, like, I, I'm not particularly worried about this in terms of, of an impact on our strategy, strategy, strategy. but we, the, the, the whole rapid test yourself and isolate is not working because I well. Mild, like mild, unpleasant symptoms. Rapid testing myself twice, one like with one day spread between them, was negative both times. So I'm thinking I've got a seasonal bug, you know. Like I, I've got like you know, like, you know, masks are coming off, so other viruses are starting to circulate. Um, anecdotally, though, you're not wrong. Um, everybody has COVID in Toronto. Everyone it, has it. Everyone has it. Yeah, it just it just hit. So this is an interesting thing. Is that I think that you know we've been kind of avoiding talking about COVID because we kind of well there hasn't been a ton to say. There hasn't been a lot of time to say, and bluntly, I think that the media has been so inundated with really alarmist. It's not bad yet, but it's getting worse. It's not the hospitals are fine, but they could be totally overrun. And I think that at this point, that's just stupid. It's just it's just stupid to be running those types of stories. I think that if we would do something on, on on the Rona, it should be something to the effect of, I mean, here in Alberta, for example, our wastewater's have gone up. Our hospitalizations have actually always been pretty high, but mm-hmm. our ICUs are totally flat to declining. I think that that is the trend we're seeing right across. That's the trend we've seen right through from Omicron. It's that it's that um, you know this isn't this does not appear to be the hospital killer, the ICU yeah. killer that previous waves have been. Thank God. Um, so. My suspicion is that essentially we're we've we've moved into an unacknowledged herd immunity strategy. Probably it's time for us to just acknowledge that, and probably it's time for us to just be like, look, this is as good as it's going to get, and it's not bad. It's a manageable situation right now. The thing's endemic. Everyone's getting exposed. Everybody's going to get exposed. It's not going to overrun the hospitals at this point, um, you know, barring some terrible new crazy mutant ninja turtle um, variant, which could happen. But barring something like that this is now just a seasonal illness and you're going to deal with this. Like you would deal with any other um, major flu, according to your individual risk profile. In, um, in the Omicron wave, the original one kind of late last year, early this year, let's call it a three months. Let's call it December, January into February. Um, sure. I think it was, I think it was a Back little short of that. Yeah. I think it was a little shorter than that, but let's just call it those three months. I probably knew more people who had COVID in those three months than I had known in the entirety of the pandemic up until Oh, totally. And And if you look at the numbers, that makes perfect sense. I would say what is Ontario's having now, and this is again, just my own anecdotal exposure is much worse. Like just, it's much more, uh, it's just everywhere. Um, I was, I was joking with friends and this is a little grim, so forgive me, but it's like the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan when like everybody's just getting mowed down. Like you're, you're not avoiding this thing. Um, no, but possible our, our hospitalizations are up, but our ICUs are not, at least not. There isn't a clear upward signal in ICU yet. They bounce around a bit up, you know, up five, down five, up 10, down 10. But looking at the uh, three month chart just before we started rolling, hospitalizations are up sharply in recent days. ICU admits are flat and are, I don't know, 
the indicators don't lag this much. If there was going to yeah. be ICU movement, I would have expected to see it by now. There, so, there, there has been a very clear secondary decoupling of case yeah, rates from, from ICU rates. That's yeah. that, and that has that that has been happening throughout the pandemic. But now it is an extra, extremely wide decoupling. I mean, I think I saw the Ontario hospitalization rates, and like the vast majority of people who are in ICU right now are not in ICU with COVID. I um, I feel badly, and I mean this very sincerely. I feel badly for people who are in some way particularly vulnerable um oh, yeah. immunocompromised um uh, disabled uh, el- elderly an, if you're an unvaccinated elderly person with you're unvaccinated by that's true the vast majority of deaths by the way are happening among people who are over the age of 70 and unvaccinated yes vast majority um and most of those people also have multiple comorbidities as well so i think I'm just lo- I'm looking at this and I think you've already said it. And I, I don't say this to be defeatist. Like if we want to debate public policy measures at this point, hey, let's have the debate. But I, I think you're on to something where this might be the normal. And I know this that like, yeah. I, people are going to be pissed off that we're even suggesting this. This might be post-COVID life. Like this just might yeah. be what that means, where yep. it's going to circulate. Our wastewater metrics are going to fly up and down. Yeah. We're going to have people going into the hospital and all right. And there will continue to be in Ontario. You had mentioned what, what was um, you mentioned this beginning. I forget it. What was Alberta's hospital's uh, ICU number? Oh, OK. So so to give you a sense of, of at, at the peak of the Delta wave, when we were talking about triage and hospital yeah. care collapse, like I think that we were our ICUs were around 300. OK. Now, the fact that we were around 300 in a province of four million is crazy. Yeah. But. There, there, there lies. It was around 300 and like we, we were stretching up to 310 and mm-hmm. that was where we were starting to really run out of steam. What are you now? Right now, 44. Okay. Yeah, because we, Ontario is about quadruple your population. Not quite, but yeah. we'll, we'll keep the math easy. So your ICU peak at 310 was higher than our ICU oh, peak. Oh, yeah. Our, per capita, yes. Yeah, our right. official, I mean, it, it's hard because our official ICU peak was about 900. Um mm-hmm operatively it was actually higher than that but we were basically giving icu level care and whatever beds we could cobble together so the numbers got weird but basically you peaked higher than we did per capita. <laughs> yeah, we and did. our effective peak would have been ballpark let's call it 900 it probably you you could probably sell me on it being higher than that but we'll call it 900 as of today we're 160 something and you have remaining ICU capacity. And like I said, the majority of people within ICUs are not there with COVID. What was, or not there because of COVID. Yeah. No, they're probably getting like, COVID when they're there. <laughs> we, will but, see, but that's we will see where we are in a week or two. I'm like, I wrote, I wrote a column in TVO this week where I basically say, look, these indicators sure are lagging this time. Like if we don't see any big movement in a week or two, and that was half a week ago now, yeah, then something is different that we have to kind of acknowledge the facts have changed and it is possible. And this is why I do feel badly for the people who are particularly vulnerable here. This might be, as you've already said, as good as it gets. This, this might be post COVID. Yeah. This where is going to be as good as it gets. Yeah. A guy like me gets nailed and has a miserable day and a half and then gets up and resumes life and people well, who are except, compromised maybe get seriously it, it, sick it indicates yeah it, it indicates also that like you're going to get that sick again and again and again if we have reinfection rates and i don't think that's the case if alberta is is if if my anecdotal observation is is playing out reinfection is not mean that you get reinfected 
just as bad every time. Mm-hmm. Reinfection means like, okay, so I actually got COVID back in February. I was out for about a week. I was pretty sick. Like I had, I had a flu. It wasn't the worst flu I'd ever had, but it certainly wasn't a cold. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I'm sure I've been exposed since then because Alberta is totally open and we've been out living a very normal life. So if the wastewater is indication, I'm probably, I don't think it's, can't rule out that I've been exposed or whatever. I'm sure lots of people have, but nobody I know is actually sick sick. It's you know just... what's interesting? And let's talk anecdotes here, right? Because sure. um, the reason I tested myself again, uh, even after I felt like 95% recovered, this is one of my, my good buddies had told me, I haven't felt well this week. And I and for work reasons, he has to uh, uh, test himself regularly. He was mm-hmm. negative, 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 positive. And he said to me, by the time I tested positive, I felt better. And I, and he, and our symptoms sounded very much alike. So I kind of thought like on a whim, all right, I'll, I'll test myself again. That's when I tested positive. Yeah. He and I talked about kind of what our symptoms were. And I've kind of described it as, um, like I said, like a crippling hangover combined with seasonal allergies for like, mm. uh, for a respiratory pandemic. I had like, like my nose was a bit runny. Like when, when I was at my worst, my nose was a bit runny. That's it. Mm. And one of the things, though, that was interesting, and this is purely anecdotal, and I wonder how you felt in February. I had never felt that way before. I've been sick before. I've, I've been hung over before. But I felt when I woke up on that Monday of, oh, this is something I have never had before. And it wasn't worse. It was just different somehow. And I, my friend yeah, said exactly I, I, the same thing. Yeah, I would say that, that 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 was my experience as well. It did not feel like a normal illness. Cold or flu. Yeah. It did not feel like a normal cold or flu. It did feel different from what I was used to. But it was like it, as it, severe as a cold or flu, but it didn't feel like a cold or flu. No, exactly. So like it, it was a bit yeah, it was yeah, it would it did not feel like a normal cold cold or flu. There was something different about it. Now, was it, again, was it like, oh, catastrophic? No, not at all. Like it was fine, but but... it sucked, but like it was fine. But, but it, there was something slightly weird about it for sure. I was, I think I've been thinking about what was different. And I think when I get it, when I get a cold, like a normal seasonal cold, or even if I get a touch of like uh, a flu, which I haven't had in a while, uh, thank God, flu is really unpleasant. Um, I am full sucky man, baby. Oh, I have a cold. My life is over. I'm pathetic. This hit me really hard, really fast. And then it was gone. And like, it was like, it was like the curtain rose. And, and it kind of like, I've been thinking about it for the last few days. It's like, I think my MRNA boosted super immune system saw the thing, killed it and stood down. It was just, and it was just, okay. You know, you're going to like, so the day after that, I still felt a bit tired. Like I took a nap, like, like the grown up I am. And I went to bed earlier than normal. And I, my appetite was a bit off by the day after that. I felt completely normal. And now listen to my voice. My like, you sound normal. This is a respiratory illness and my, like, I'm a, so anyway, um, all right, we'll, we'll put a little medley of of all those things together. Um, uh, I do find like, the, the rapid test. Heard, just, yeah, just like the rapid tests aren't really reliable for some reason in this particular yeah. variant. Um, it does seem like we're moving to an unacknowledged herd immunity strategy, and that's probably not the end of the world. But it is psychologically really hard for people who have uh, imbibed a lot of the most terrifying messaging on COVID to make the transition to be like, okay, now you're just, you're all going to get it. There's nothing. And, to it, and it does suck for the people who are 
Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I presume that that goes without saying. If you if you have a specific um, conditions or whatever, you are in a different space and incredible sympathy to you. That's, that's all, all the, I can say. In all the original waves, my my, my writing stands uh, as my proof of this. I supported most of the public health restrictions. Some of them were dumb or theatrical, but in general, I was on the side of let's take strong action, let's slow this thing down, because there was a point. We were buying times to first invent the vaccines and then to procure the vaccines and then to deploy the vaccines. When Omicron came, I looked at the infectivity rate of that thing and I was like, well, okay, time to change strategies. Like nothing we had done until now is going to work against this. And I think some people... Or haven't made that mental pivot, which is sort of the stuff we did before isn't working. Although, like I said to you, there's no calls for lockdown in Ontario right now. In Ontario, there's been a pivot. There's been a pivot. No calls for there has been a shift. Yeah. No calls for lockdowns. It's it's everyone saying we well, we need better mask mandates or more access to PCR testing. All right, let's debate sure. the merits of that. But I, I'm interested by what we're not calling for. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And I think it, you're right. It is it is very, very interesting that there has absolutely been a a shift or a transition um, on on that kind of stuff. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, well, we'll, that, we'll put a pin on that one. Um, budget. So here's my meta thought on the budget, and I'll throw this to you. I, I wrote this for TVO already. It's a placeholder budget. The government's like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to put some money towards keeping the NDP happen because there are new uh, happy because there are new blushing bride. We know we have to spend some money on defense. So we're going to budget some money for defense, but we have no idea what to spend it on because we've ignored mm-hmm. the military for so long. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah. Here, here's a budgetary envelope and we'll figure out what to do with it later basically the same thing on housing right i mean so they're going to ban foreign buyers from buying houses um but in, and then oh we're going to call, call, call me when call me when you're ready to dismantle the uh the the cmhc <laughs> well, just, call me when you've come up with anything because basically like huge parts of this budget are like we are committing x billions to accomplish tbd like we we don't know yet so like miss freeland is, is getting lauded for so Miss Freeland is getting lauded for um, her prudence or her restraint or whatever terms we want to use for it. But I actually just basically think it's a tacit recognition that nobody knows what's coming. Nobody mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen. And we're, the government has put the box into what they feel they need to for pragmatic or political reasons. And they'll fill in the details later when we have the slightest clue what we're up against. Well, also, I kind of object to the idea that this is a pragmatic budget. Yeah, only I mean, by this liberal is this, standards. Yeah, only by, well, not only that, only by liberal standards and only by post-COVID standards is this a pragmatic budget. Yeah. This is $56 billion in spending. Like, you know, of, of in spending. 2017, yeah. that would have not been acceptable. And I would also say, like, it's, 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 it would be much, much higher had a combination of uh, inflation and um, resource revenues, uh, resource revenues yeah. not ha- managed to significantly reduce even that. So like, yep. this is not a, this is not a pragmatic budget. This is a high spending budget. 
it's a high spending budget on a lot of really marginal efforts that will make no real substantive difference to the economy or any of the major issues will only fuel further fuel inflation in a, in a sort of marginal way um, is not going to bring down housing prices is not going to make housing more accessible for the vast majority of, 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 of uh, Canadians, um, you know, targeted packaged funding to like supercluster crap is I think an absolute waste of money. And then, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not even particularly prudent by traditional or, or by, or by historic standards. So like, I don't think this does anything. I think this, 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 this really sets us to not fix budget. any, it's a placeholder budget. Yeah. It's could it, could it have been worse? Yes. Could oh. it have been better? Sure. I mean, you either had to like go full austerity here or, you know, recognize that inflation was about to hit and we're just going to like supercharge um, very specific sectors with smart spending. And I don't think that we're doing either of those things. Well, well I always like to paraphrase the prime minister. Worse is always possible. So, yes, it could have been worse. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, I did. I did laugh a little bit at people. saying, Oh, this is the most conservative budget the liberals ever had. That's technically true, but that's not much of a of a comment. I mean, the Trudeau liberals uh, at, at any rate. And it's interesting. I mean, I know it's been 14 years, but what was the um, what was the maximum uh, deficit for Stephen Harper during the economic crisis? Wasn't it about 56 oh. billion bucks? Like yeah. Stephen Harper's worst ever uh, deficit is is the liberal prudent budget and yes we'd have to adjust for inflation blah 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 but I, it just jumped out of me i'd actually I'd, i'll actually go pull those numbers yeah i'd be curious let's see um i, I don't, don't have really anything else on budget i mean it's there wasn't much there there um there wasn't much there there except for the fact that it's a it's a lot of deficits but i think i would i would just add yeah no and and they're putting bucks down on the things they know they need to put bucks down on with no specific idea of what to do with the bucks the, the other the other thing i would note here is that as someone who's been watching the alberta budget for a really long time um promising that you're going to reduce spending later almost doesn't i i don't have a lot of faith that that's actually going to happen because in my experience, it almost never does. I'll quit smoking next week. It, exactly. Yeah. Once you get hooked on on program spending, you know you've got two options. You can either grow your way out, you can increase taxes, or you can cut. And governments never cut. You'll notice they have not actually increased taxes in in any system, systemic or sustainable way. Oh, they're going after um, big, big incomes. They're, go, they're going after big, but, but but I mean, these are like one-time, one-off things. They're yeah. not gonna they're they're not gonna fix these fix the systemic sort of revenue problems. Nope. And once you get into a um, a problem of systemic overspending, um, that's a really hard problem to fix over time. It's not ten, it does not tend to be a problem that gets smaller over time. It tends to be a problem that gets bigger over time. And then we have and do you think and do you think yeah exactly and like thirty years later. Well, and also, do you think that like the inflationary pressures are going to get any better? Do you think that you aren't going to be pressured to put money in Canadians' pockets in two, three years from now? Like, everything gets harder from here. So if you can't curb spending now, you're not going to be in a position to curb spending when, you know, inflation's running at 14% and everybody's screaming. Like, you know, like it's it. Also, we, get caught in a, we don't in a know what we're going to have to spend money on in three years. No, we don't. Because we no, could we have don't. another COVID or this war in Europe could go bonkers. Like, it, I'm just going to hold that thought. Yeah. Just
uh, yeah, what you get the monster variant, the monster COVID variant that like, oh, hello. On my desk is fascinating at the moment, isn't it? Here, we'll, we'll just pause a minute. I'll cut this out. Yep. But look at how pretty she is yeah. in that blue shirt. Looks so cute. Honey. Honey. Honey, mommy's on the phone, okay? I know you want to be a star. <laughs> but only one star in the family at a time, okay? Okay. Bye, my love. I love you. Whoa. Um, All right, here, let me, I'll fake this for us. All right, sorry, we're back. Uh, we lost our connection there for a minute, so we had to reconnect. So sorry for the awkward cut there. Uh, we, we were I'm trying to remember exactly what, what the hell were we just saying before we got What were we talking about? I totally forgot. We're talking about something about the budget. Um, something, something uh, budget, you, budget. Oh, uh, getting hooked on program spending. Once, like, yeah. yeah, and basically I had said, we are not guaranteed that two years from now, there will not be another global, international or national crisis that we're going to need to spend $200 billion on just to survive. And it's going to get harder and harder to do that until we get our fiscal books back in that trajectory. One of the operative assumptions of my entire career in journalism and yours as well, because I'm a couple years older than you, and also more than that, our almost not entirely our lives, but our adult lives has been we can always boast of Canada's really good fiscal position and our great debt to GDP ratio and our, our world leading metrics. Our metrics are in still some cases best in class in the G7, but only because we're all basket cases after two years of disaster. We don't have the fiscal firepower we did two years ago. We just don't need more. We don't, no. And also, I'm not even sure that we are better off than a lot of other I think uh, we are. Uh, I think we still have lowest debt to GDP ratio in the G7, but I'd have to confirm. So that the, 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 the decision to focus on that was a very political decision well, of when the liberals got in, got in power. Right, sure. the liberal debt to GDP ratio was the thing that we all decided to, they're like Freeland and the liberal governments decided to focus on when they started to run up debt. You know, that I've was the decision. I've worked in AM radio many, many times over the years, and um, as you know, and we, we always used to joke come ratings time that no matter what the ratings are, you can always, you can always yeah. come off a winner. You know, yeah. my show leads among white men between the ages of 37 and 42 in the right. day segment like you you can slice the data however you want so every show would have some joke line about how we oh, we're, we're we're dominating in college educated afro-canadian women between the ages of 58 and 61 like you can yeah, oh, yeah. That's, in the in the data metrics that might be one person but like yeah. you can so yeah, that was basically a lot of our fiscal planning for years. Um, all right, so that, that's, yeah, basically we can't do again what we did before. Uh, Ukraine. Um, I don't know if there's a ton to say about what we, what we covered a lot in, a, in the special dispatch we did on Monday. And I don't know mm -hmm. if we need to say much on that front. I did want to flag two things though. And I don't know if this is new or if we had just missed this before. Uh, as hard as you and I have been over the years on Canadian journalism outlets not being on the ground, CTV and Global News both now have teams on the ground in Ukraine, yeah. and we note that and we salute them. Yeah, I think it, even CBC does. But um, well, CBC, yeah, we had mentioned the CBC before. We the had CBC mentioned the CBC. So, so there is one thing that I could mention, although it's only going to get me into an enormous amount of trouble to do so, and that is there's That's been never stopped you. 
Yeah. So the Ukrainians themselves are are pushing this idea that what's happening in Bukha and probably numerous other towns that the, that the Russians have occupied constitutes a genocide. It doesn't. No, it's not. It, <laughs> it, these are crimes it's, against humanity, and these are war, these are war crimes against humanity. Against humanity. They're, they're, it's not genocide. Yeah, they're atrocities. They're not genocide. The word no, has words mean, mean things. And, and, yeah, and and you know if 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 we're going to be on board with saying like you know we. If we're going to make that argument when, for example, we start talking about um, uh, indigenous people here in, in, in North America and in Canada, and if we're going to be the stickler pendants who are just like, not a genocide. Um, I think that it's only fair to do the same when, you know, uh, Ukraine makes that claim. I mean, it's it, 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 it does not, you know, there's been resettlement, there's been absolute atrocities, there's been war crimes. There have been many, many terrible words and, and saying it's not a genocide in no way minimizes that. But genocide has a very specific meaning, and it, yep. it, it matters that we don't start using genocide yep. to describe every bad thing. Yep. No, agree entirely. Yeah, and I've, yep. and I've written versions of, of things like this before. And you're right, because our, our society has a habit towards maximalist language. Yep. Um, something is not bad. It's terrible. Something's not terrible. It's unprecedentedly terrible. Something's not unprecedentedly terrible. It's the worst thing ever. What is happening in Ukraine is awful by any standard. It absolutely fits all the definitions of crimes against humanity and war crimes under the under the laws of war. Uh, people should be shot for this. They won't be, of course, but they should be. But is it a genocide? No, no, not not under the understood international definition of a genocide. Well, and, and that we understand today. Um, I mean, you, you could even potentially use the term like cultural genocide. Uh, you do see that there is an intent here by Russia to wipe out the idea of Ukraine as a distinct culture. So you might be able to get away with a term like that. But I, I don't think that you get away with the use of the word genocide in this see, context. One of, one of the fuzzy things, and this is a really cheerful conversation on a, on a Friday, so I'm glad we're doing this. One of the fuzzy things about the accepted definition of genocide, which I don't have on me right now, because why would I? I didn't know we were going in this direction. Here, let me just reach into my pocket. I always keep the definition of genocide on me. Um, yeah, just to keep yourself in line, right? Yeah, exactly. It refers to, and this is me quoting from memory here, the, the uh, physical destruction of a people in whole or in part. And I've always thought the in part thing introduced a layer of complexity that we didn't need here because what is a part? It just like means it, a, a failed genocide. Well, I mean, is any massacre of an identifiable ethnic or national yeah. group automatically a genocide? No, I think like a genocide has to, like if, if the word is to have valid meaning, it has to be an actual extermination attempt on an identifiable group uh religious linguistic national whatever like so um i i've always yeah you're right people will be mad but no i agree with you like words have meanings words have meanings and this does not qualify so um like and i don't think anybody could claim that we have been in any way unsympathetic to the ukrainians we have not done the sort of tanky nonsense that and in fact i think we've we've demonstrated some some pretty distinct moral clarity on this particular issue so no one can criticize us on that particular front but you know words matter yeah but and... you're a jerk if you if someone calls it the worst thing and you go eh you're a jerk and yeah. i mean that's okay we've yeah, been jerks before but that that's how people tend to view this and yeah. even if people agree with you, they're like, oh, I know, but don't, don't argue with them. It's not, don't, the but don't now. argue with them. You're, um, yeah, this yes, isn't the is. moment. Yeah. It, this well. is exactly the moment because words mean things. Yeah. 
All right. Um, well, yeah, sure. So let's go. We'll be, the, we'll, we'll be that jerk this week. Um, this also. Yeah. Th- this is um, the other one. Yeah. So two un- kind of un- generally unrelated things, and I'm not an expert on either of them, but uh, Jesse Brown of Canada Land uh, had, a, had an investigation and an interview about um, the decision-making processes that go into deciding uh, by, by the federal government what is an official journalism organization that qualifies for uh, government support. And then a, a story later in the week, I don't know all the details of this, and I don't want to misstate this legally, but Rebel News has, has commenced legal action because apparently they had applied and had been rejected. I don't know exactly uh, the legality of this. I, I don't. I haven't actually read the full Jesse Brown report, and I, I'm not familiar with the details of the Rebel thing. So I don't want to get in, into the tons of the detail here. But just in, in the big picture sense, you and I have talked about this before. The moment journalism status becomes something that can be conferred by some outside body, it's political. It doesn't matter if it's a, a group of independent experts. It doesn't matter if it's the government. There is no way to grant any organization veto authority on who is or is not journalists without it becoming a politicized process literally impossible yep um and this is also one of the big problems that i have with sort of the idea of journalists as being a, a, a priestly caste as yeah. so many of our peers and colleagues tend or to treat a regulated it profession or a regulated profession there are countries out there that do treat it like a regulated profession it's not a solution and it involves a lot of trade-offs. And, and let me tell you, some of the most regulated, profe- the UK, for example, treats journalism as a regulated, regulated profession. If you think they have more ethical standards of journalism in the UK, my goodness, let's have that conversation because they absolutely don't. Let's have that conversation um, in each other's voicemails, which will then be. Yeah, happy. yeah, precisely. I mean, um, journalism isn't a thing you are, it's a thing you do. Anybody can do journalism. Anybody Great. can do a thing of journalism. Anybody can do journalism professionally. Yep. Um, it's, 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 and you don't need a particular regulation. You don't need a particular set of, of, of credentials to do it. Or education. Um, or education. You know, some of the best journalists that you and I know were not raised in journalism schools, let me tell you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a military historian. People you're say a military time, historian. Gurney, you're a disgrace to your journalism degree. It's like, huh, huh. Actually, it's worse even than that. I don't have one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I came and out yet, of grad and like, school and went, uh, I got an internship and off we went. You know, if you have, if you can uh, generate an audience, um, become trustworthy enough to that audience to have that, that audience trust what you're saying mm-hmm. um, and you can commit journalism, you're, you're, you're being a journalist. You're just doing it. Um, so the idea that we're moving to a regulated thing is something that I think a lot of our professional colleagues have clung to when they feel insecure, when they feel financially insecure. Well, the government will decide who's a journalist and then they'll just give us money and that will fix it. No, it just creates all kinds of other problems. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to note again to our subscribers that not only are we um, fundamentally philosophically opposed to government money funding journalism, we think that that is a fundamentally corrupting process. Um, as conservatives, we're opposed to it because, because you know, it's a bad use of taxpayer money. Um, as journalists, we're opposed, opposed to it because it is, it, is, it is corrupting to be funded in that way. It shifts your priorities and your incentives in ways that are counterintuitive to journal- the practice of journalism. I mean, how many, how, many, how many independent news outlets are there right now that are essentially grant, they, they exist in order to write grants for, for corporate social responsibility money and 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 government grants 
Like they're, 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 they're not journalism outlets. They're, they're, they're grant outlets. That's what they are. They're grant seekers. They're, they're not there to serve an audience or they are there to serve an audience. They're there to serve an audience of people who sit on boards and give grants to um, uh, high-minded journalism sounding initiatives. It's, and that it's is what a perversion of the, tr- of the traditional, not even journalism economic model, um, but uh, ec- just basic economics where the supply induced the demand. Yes, where, that's right. Like, you know, there were uh, either governments or there were philanthropists or there were, as you said, uh, corporations that um, wanted for reasons good or cynical to promote local community journalism or um, environmental journalism or studies of indigenous sure. issues. Yep. So they created a budget yep. and then outlets sprung in and it just becomes this symbiotic relationship between them. And there's been some totally fine work produced by some of these outlets, but it's, but it's, not, pretty rare. it's not a sustainable model that would work on a, on a, on a general basis because you can't report well, it, might, it, it, it might be a sustainable yeah it might be a sustainable model for the creation of a of, or of a for parasitic that industry thing, yes. yeah for, for the creation of a parasitic industry that's yep. it's it's a perfectly fine uh, uh uh sustainable model it's not a model like look you're always beholden to the people who cut your checks and in our case the people who cut our checks are our audience so those are the people to ultimately to whom we are beholden to if our audience likes us they'll pay us and if they don't like us they won't Okay. We have accepted. Let's let's just be explicit about this, Jen. Certainly, like we have benefited from professional advice or professional services that people have sure. donated to us pro bono because they yeah. like us or they they're happy to help us out. But in terms of our operating funding at the line, we are one hundred percent user subscriber supported. We have not accepted a single penny that is not with the exception of the mugs we sold. That is it. Our entire right. income is subscribers and mugs. Done. Um, and even to be blunt, the 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 sort of uh, um, government program where you can subscribe to be considered an official journalism program, and then people can use use that as a tax write off. Your subscription is a tax write off. Yeah, and I, I've had to tell them I don't even know what they're talking about because I never looked into. Well, it. no, we we I did look into it, and like, firstly, the process for getting approved is onerous and probably not worth the money and the time for us. Mm-hmm. And bluntly, I, I don't I don't want to have a government organization involved in deciding that we're legitimate like i just i just i'm so philosophically opposed to that that i i have real problems with it i even did look the expense at the of, even if that's costing our, our 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 subscribers i'm sorry i you know it's, it's true uh, i did look at the checklist of what a journalism outlet needs to show in order to at least like in the minimum threshold to qualify we would yeah. qualify like we would tick we would every box if we wanted to we just don't and this is not we just don't. Like, this, this is something we discussed like once a year and a half ago, and we were just completely simpatico on it. We just never brought it up again until it came up this week because of, of the rebel lawsuit and, and Jesse Brown's report. So let's just say it one more time, Jen, how much money have we accepted from the government? Zero. How much money Zero. will we ever accept from the government? I have zero intention to ever accept any money from the government. No, and I, I think that it would be a corrupting process for us to do that, and I'm fundamentally opposed to it. Um, but that also puts us at a huge competitive disadvantage, and it and it just does, and we've accepted that. Um, uh, yeah, it, it does, but it also keeps our lives a lot simpler. And I just, I, it's like both the moral clarity plus the lack of paperwork. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So anyway, um, this is just something that I want I, I want to flag to our subscribers. We've had a lot of new subscribers come in, in the last few days and, and or last few months, I should say. And, and we really should emphasize the fact that our, our continued existence relies wholly on them. And we've, you know, it costs us money and we love them. And it, but it does cost us money to have these principles and to maintain the independence we do. 
one i mean yeah i mean amen um one last point to make on a, on a housekeeping note speaking of subscribers so earlier in the week when i had the, the death thing that i now know was indeed covid um you god bless you stepped up to the plate and you just you just took the con you, you ran the shop for a couple of days while i slept um you made a totally legitimate choice, which I totally supported. You just turned off the comments on the posts. And this is something yeah. I've done before as well. We had some questions. Um, some, some of them were uh, upset that they were off. Others were, were simply curious. And one of our readers had suggested to us that we should clarify what our comments policy is. It's yep. really simple. By default, we will leave comments open. If neither you or I is available that day to keep an eye on them, we will turn them off because yeah. we have had issues before um, where there have been incidents or stuff that needed a, a grown up to step in and stop or delete. Yeah. Um, and we do not actively moderate the comments. We do not approve them before they're published, uh, no. but we do, but we do watch them as they go up. Yeah. And what happens? And, and as we have, and as we have more paid subscribers, more people participating in the comments section, they become much more unwieldy and much more. It's becoming more burdensome to do this. Now we do treat treat the ability and right to comment as a privilege of the paid subscribers mm -hmm. um, because I think that that's appropriate. Um, so I, I would like to make a, a habit of keeping that comment section on um, as to uh, maintain maintenance of that privilege. Um, however, sometimes it's just not doable. So we will we'll just have a little clarification at the bottom of the, of the dispatch to clarifying our comments policy and, and make sure that people sort of understand that if it's if it's turned off, it's probably either by mistake because sometimes Substack it's automatically does that. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a mistake, and sometimes it's just because we just we just don't have the bandwidth to keep on it. I would also say there could be occasions where I would suggest that we may, we establish an editorial prerogative to exercise our judgment to disable comments on certain posts. Uh, yes, I think that's right. Yeah, there, I think there, there will be occasions where we don't need to deal with lawyers. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Certain things are just so obviously going to be catastrophic where we can make yeah. an editorial decision to not. But overwhelmingly, our decision is and has been to have comments on and unmoderated on every post. We but do go in and clean them up occasionally when needed to. Yeah, yeah. for our yeah for yeah. paid subscribers. Yeah, if you if you if you if you're not shelling out cash, we don't owe you nothing, buddy. Have you ever noticed though that the most angry, strident, demanding people are the free readers? That doesn't surprise me at all. No, it it, it is interesting. I can look at an angry email from a reader click their subscription status and i am rarely surprised yeah so yeah but that, the, but that also doesn't surprise me because the people who like us the most and jive with us the most are the ones who are already given money us for us or yeah, is given us bucks right um yeah. anyway um okay so how are we going to divide this up yeah do, how, do we, how do you want to divide this up do you want me to do uh government pay and covid Government pay, you mean government paying us, like government yeah, 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 journalism? Yeah. The, the, the Ezra suing thing. Um, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Do okay. you want to do that? No, you can do, you can do that. Um, okay. uh, as is, yeah, for sure. Um, and unless, unless would, you're really, I mean, you, you were the one who's just recovered from COVID. So you may, you may be more passionate about doing it. Than I yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't. No, it's, I, I think we're completely simpatico on, um, on our views on that. That would leave me with comments, Ukraine and budget. Uh, do you want me to do the Ukraine genocide thing? 
No, I can do it. I, 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 I okay. agree with your position there. It's, it's absolutely horrible, but words have meanings here. And what's happening in Ukraine is not genocide. It's a crime against humanity and it's a war crime. Okay, and so I'll do COVID uh, government journalism payouts and uh, just and really just use that as, an, as, a, as a reminder to be like, hey, we're, we are really actually subscriber funded. Um, and then do you want me to do the intro? Oh, I'll do the intro because I think the Ukraine stuff should probably be the intro. Got it. Okay. So we'll just kind of flow it right, right through um, into that. And then, um, yeah, and I will, I will give, it won't be a separate blurb, but I will give uh, a hat tip to CTV and Global for uh, their efforts in Ukraine. And, oh, we should maybe just mention, uh, we continue to be in touch with freelancers in Ukraine, and we expect to have fresh content uh, from them shortly, in fact, I think. Oh, we got a, we got a good one coming. Yeah. If, if that pans out, yes. (laughs) Eyebrow rises. Well... It's, it's sometimes sometimes the stars align we'll just we'll just go with that um all right um I, that's I us for else. the dispatch i want to talk to you when the video is off okay so that uh you know people uh don't hear us you know rambling on about our sexist policies and such but well, we, um, we already we already had one of those moments earlier today where i'm like hey I'm, before we continue talking i should make sure we're not recording this so we, <laughs> we will be explicit now that we're not recording this uh thank you everybody we'll talk to you soon well ladies gentlemen that is it the first ever line podcast episode again an experiment just something we're trying out we hope you enjoyed it if you like it We'll do more, and I promise we'll get better at it as we go along. In the meantime, Matt Gurney from The Line. Take care.